Welcome to episode five of Still Updating. Today, we're talking about people analytics. People analytics is all about using data to maximize the value of human capital in an organization. It's kind of like Moneyball, but for office workers. And it's become a key strategic function in some of today's largest and most successful companies. Our guest today is Cole Knapper, who is a prolific blogger, podcaster, and thought leader in the field of people analytics. He also serves as chief evangelist at Orgnostic, a software company on a mission to make people analytics accessible for small and large companies alike. In our conversation, Cole shares some acquired wisdom from over a decade in the field, as well as some predictions for what's to come. This was a fun one. I hope you enjoy it. Hello, and welcome to Still Updating. This show is an open-ended exploration about data, AI, and how modern businesses are using technology to compete in the marketplace. Still Updating is brought to you by Endeavor Labs. By no coincidence, I, Nathan Gould, am both the founder of Endeavor Labs and the host of this podcast. Endeavor Labs is a data and AI-focused consultancy that helps businesses become smarter, faster, and leaner by leveling up their data game. With that said, let's get to the show. All right, and we're live. Cole, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Nathan. Cool. Yeah, so we have a lot to talk about. I want to get into all sorts of things with you. People analytics, generally uh, talking about AI, talking about Orgnostic, the company where you're at right now. Before we dig in and get to all those things, we'd love to just get a quick intro from you. Um, what What are you up to these days and how did, how did you get there? Yeah, so uh, I, I have been a people analytics practitioner for almost 15 years. I went to graduate school with a, a PhD and master's in IO psychology, so industrial organizational psychology. And that led me into kind of, um, you wouldn't expect it, but into the HR space, right? And because what we're looking to do, and this there was kind of this revolution that happened around 2010, 2012, where people analytics was becoming quite popular uh, from the movie like Moneyball and then like the work that the Google team was doing about like Project Oxygen and Project Aristotle, a lot of publicity that happened there. There, I think there was a few seminal uh, Harvard Business Review articles. And so it kind of blew up and, and I really rode that wave of, th- there weren't a ton of people that were qualified with a statistical background, a research orientation, and also someone who was trying to understand the business and how human productivity could drive the business. And so I, I went from being an individual contributor to being a manager to being a manager of managers uh, quite quick, quickly compared to maybe many folks out there. And then about a year ago, um, I was sort of at a, a career crisis of sorts where I was thinking like, I don't really want to be like a chief people officer someday. That's not really my cup of tea, but I don't really have anywhere else to go upwards anymore. So what am I going to do? And, and so I came across Orgnostic. They were, I was actually a customer of theirs, and they noticed that uh, I didn't have any trouble speaking publicly because I was doing a podcast. I also have a lot of ideas about people analytics because I've been writing a lot of articles. I wasn't getting paid for any of those things. And they, they was like, hey, could you come work here and kind of do the stuff that you're already doing, but get paid to do it and do it on our behalf as well? Because we feel very passionately about giving back to the people analytics community, and we can tell that you enjoy doing that as well. And so that's kind of the reason why I came here. Uh, it's very different than anything I've done in the past, but honestly, I get to talk more about people analytics than I ever did when I was practicing it. So that's like the great irony of my role right now. 
Well, getting paid to do what you would do anyway is the is the best kind of job. So congrats. And I'm also I'm I'm interested to learn more about kind of what what caused that initial wave of of interest in people analytics? Like what what were some of the things that that Google got right uh, that kind of inspired other companies to say, aha, this is something that we should do and you know have the the you know industry as a whole kind of adopt some of these practices? I mean, there's kind of like a macro trend and then kind of a micro thing that happened around that period of time. The macro trend is that on especially on publicly traded companies, the concept of human capital being a part of a firm's valuation was taking a larger and larger component. And so companies were actually struggling to show like, hey, how do we justify the value of all this human capital that's on our books? Because we don't really have ways of like from a finance, like think of the gap, the generally accepted accounting principles and things like that that get reported to investors. Um, they don't have something like that for human beings. And so maybe we should bring some of the same science and some of the same standardization and practices and policies that we're doing in that space into the human capital space. Because if we're spending so much money on it, it's such a big part of our future, we should know more about it, right? So that's kind of the macro trend that had been going on for probably 40 years. The, the micro trend that was happening at that time, I mean, I mentioned Moneyball earlier, but there was really this analytical revolution that was sweeping through every function. So it could be marketing, it could be operations, it could be finance, it could be IT. Every function at the same time was looking to bring data to bear to try to prove the value of what they were doing. And in, in HR in particular, they had all of this data that was sitting in things like their human capital management systems, their applicant tracking systems, their learning management systems, the you know their survey platforms, and they weren't doing anything with it. They were spending sometimes millions of dollars a year on these platforms and getting nothing out of that data. And they realized like we're sitting on a gold mine. We should be doing something with this. And then there were just uh, there was a, a piece I, I believe it was in Harvard, Harvard Business Review by Thomas Davenport and a few others called "Competing on Talent Analytics." That was again a big catalyst. Uh, Google's work was a big catalyst. And then from there, and this is kind of a cynical take, but from there, everybody else just wanted to copy what other people were doing. They didn't really have a general idea. It's like, oh gosh, FOMO, I don't want to be left behind. I need to be doing this. And so let's scramble around and find a few folks that know what they're doing in this space. We don't really have any ideas for them, but we just know that we should be doing it. And so, and people kind of threw around this word predictive for a long time. Like there were these maturity curves that showed that the highest level you could get to was was predictive analytics. And so everybody was like saying, we want to be predictive. We want to be predictive. And and my take on that was always like, they just say, we want to be magical. We want to be magical. <laughs> if you just replace the word predictive with magic, that's really what they meant. Because what predictive really means from a statistical sense is probabilistic. What are the percentages of likelihood that something might happen versus not happen? And how can we increase those likelihoods? That's not what people meant, generally speaking. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We all, we all want a little bit of magic. So maybe to make this more concrete, could you, could you give a few examples of like, what, what, is a, what is a people analytics project look like? What are, what are a few different examples of kind of insights you can develop or uh, you know, goals you can kind of reach for with, uh, with people analytics? Absolutely. The one that every team started with and to the point that it's almost a joke now is predicting turnover, mm -hmm. right? 
Can we predict when an employee is going to quit? And then can we do something about it? Now, the, the debate is ongoing about that project in particular because you can get into some really creepy areas really quickly um, in terms of like how, like how invasive are you going to get to try to predict someone's turnover? And you think about like what it was that Tom Cruise movie, I can't remember what it was called, but they were like had precogs that did like pre-crime. It's like, are we mm-hmm. getting in people's heads trying to, you know, read their minds on whether they're going to quit a job? And it's like, this is going to show up like a manager knocking on the door like, hey, we noticed that you've been checking your pay stubs more recently. Have you been thinking about quitting? Like that sounds like a really dystopian type of conversation. But in reality, if you just take a few data points, so like I think a lot of people talk about machine learning nowadays, but I mean, you could a lot of times with in any type of kind of predictive study, usually it's between like five and 15 data points. You can get a pretty reliable prediction on whether or not somebody is going to quit, whether or not somebody's going to get promoted, whether or not somebody should be hired. There's a lot of these type of what I would call like from a a machine learning perspective, like classification problems that were the low-hanging fruit of trying to understand what's going on in analytics. And, And one of the things you'll learn about me is I am much more of a fan of what I would call diagnostic analytics, trying to figure out why something is happening than predictive analytics, which is saying what is going to happen and can we do something about it to correct it in advance? Because if you understand systematically why something is happening, you can fix it for everyone, not just doing creepy stuff for the few individuals who might be thinking of quitting or something like that. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So, okay, so this this sort of, uh, this field takes off um, and eventually I think some companies get the idea that they can build a product around it. So that maybe is a good uh a good, good cue to talk a bit about Orgnostic. So, so what is, what is Orgnostic? What do they do? And uh, yeah, just tell us a little bit about the company and their evolution. Yeah, and so what I would say is, you know, with the genesis of people analytics becoming hot, HR technology vendors started trying to get into this space. So most of the human capital technology firms tried to create their own kind of like people analytics solutions, and then there were like people analytics only solutions that were created. But what most of those ended up being was just typical business intelligence dashboarding and charts, except about HR mm-hmm. instead of about something else. Orgnostic, we we we've we've seen that play out a bunch of times already, and we're like, ah, we've seen, we've seen the show. We don't want to see it anymore. Can we build something that people might actually use? So, like our founder was a previous chief people officer. I've led people analytics functions for a long time. Um, many of our leaders in the firm. We're actually users of this type of product in the past, and we had a lot of dissatisfaction with what we had seen. And so we were like, can we build something that people would actually like and use? And so most of these tools, they're actually made for a people analytics analyst. So like somebody who's like a number cruncher, a master's degree, you know, requires a lot of scientific background. We wanted to build a tool that was for executives, HR business partners, and managers. And what the first thing you got to start with, you've got to start with simplicity. The second thing you've got to start with is what are the things that they actually care about? And so what people don't like is trying to interpret really vague charts and things that don't make sense to them on first pass. And so we invested heavily in natural language processing to take all of the data that they might need to receive, but explain it to them in plain English rather than making people understand it. Now, we've still got charts if you want to see those, but if you just want a plain text explanation of what's going on in your business unit, 
you'll have that in front of your face. But the next thing that you're going to see that's very different, no, no other tools are really doing this, is we went highly into the prescriptive space. So what should I be doing about the data that I'm seeing? And so we, we developed a, a bunch of tools that we call insights. So the, this is kind of those diagnostic analytics I was talking about earlier that are gonna automatically surface problems that are going on in your organization. But it's not enough just to surface them. It's gonna take you to best-in-class research that's gonna tell you, hey, here's what you might do to fix the problem. And none of that requires a human being. That's very fundamentally transformative when you think about the history of people analytics. At every step in the process, it always required, again, somebody with like a master's degree to go and do some research, to put together some PowerPoints, and then explain, here are our recommendations. You really don't need to do that when you've got a tool like Orgnostic. But the other thing that we did that was quite different is we merged together traditional people analytics with employee surveys and employee listening. And so a lot of times uh, folks would have to have their survey vendor over here, their people analytics vendor over here, and th never the two shall meet. Well, we automatically built them in to work together uh, from the start. And so that was pretty transformative. And then because the probably the number one problem that data functions have in general, not just people analytics, but data functions, is data engineering. Can we get good quality, standardized, normalized, harmonized data? And so we built a, a layer we call data orchestration, which is a place for to basically automate most of the data engineering process, data inflows, transformations, data audits, data quality, all the things that are going to make the, the really the most challenging part of people analytics, they're gonna make it simple. And then we've explored into new areas, things like talent intelligence, scenario planning and workforce planning. And, and then I, I think you're gonna wanna talk about this later, but also the generative AI space. But I'll kind of wait, wait until you wanna talk about that. Yeah, yeah, I do wanna talk about that. But, but first I wanna, I wanna actually get a little more into this uh, data orchestration piece because it's, it's interesting to me that Orgnostic is trying to provide this kind of vertical SaaS, like, you know, sort of closed solution that, you know, ties together all the different data points nicely mm -hmm. and helps your customers avoid complicated integration. Um, you know, you mentioned these two data systems that, that, that never, yep. never talk to each other, right? So we're not in that situation. But you also have this data orchestration uh, feature and um, wondering who, who is that for? What is that meant to make easier? Um, and also, maybe maybe throw in there like, do you have any advice for people leading data teams um, who are asked to you know do something with people data? Because I know that's something that uh, a lot of companies don't even yeah. touch, right? It's like you have your HRIS system that's off in a corner with the HR team, and then you have your data team that's like doing its thing with mm -hmm. product data, marketing data, like that sort of domain data is a lot more common for data teams to handle than people data. So how, how do you bridge the two and, and how can yeah. Orgnostic kind of address that? Maybe I'll start with the last part first and then I'll go back to the Orgnostic part because um, what you described is actually a very common challenge and debate from a data governance standpoint. And it's like an age-old debate, which is should in <clears throat> centralized or internal data teams have access to all of HR data or not? And I've seen both, both sides of the argument. I've seen teams do it both ways. But HR data is some of the most sensitive data that a company can have. And whatever solution you choose, whether you put it in a centralized data team or you make sure that there's this cordoned off 
area that just includes HR data that only certain people have access to, you're going to have to have very good governance, very good data privacy, and very good methods of recourse if somebody were to break the sanctity of the security of that data, right? And so that, that's a very important point. The thing I'd say where Orgnostic comes into this is there's, there have been the advent of many tools in the last few years that will try to be that data integration layer for HR tools. The problem is this. They don't play well with others. Orgnostic is fundamentally different in the sense that a lot of those tools, they take all of your data and you put it in one place, and then the only way you can use that data is if you can use their tool to access it. We don't believe in that. We believe in data democratization. So if you want to put data into our tool and use it in our People Analytics platform, absolutely be our guest. We think it's world-class. But if you want to use that to link to R or Python models or publish things in Power BI or Tableau or Looker yourself, you can still link to our data orchestration layer and do that. And you're working with the best-in-class quality data that you wouldn't have if, let's say, you built your own data lake or your own data warehouse yourself. You're, that's a one- to two-year journey of just trying to get the right data definitions, calculations, standardization, harmonization, all the things I mentioned earlier. That, that is a big undertaking that you can just get out of that, that hamster wheel by using something like Orgnostic. And the reason why is because we've worked with every one of these major technology vendors before in the past that house HR data. And so we already have all the standard definitions. We already have all the standard calculations. And we put them into what we call our meta model, which is the way of, and this is why it makes our integration so quick, is you know 80% of your data that comes from those tools is standard. Well, we automatically can get that filtered in in like an hour or two. I mean, it's, it's, it's insane how quickly it is. So then you're just spending the rest of the implementation on the 20% that is custom to your organization. And we're very good at that too, because again, we're using 2020, 2023 technology, whereas a lot of companies are using 2015 or 2010 technology to try to deal with their data. So yeah, go, going back to sort of advice for, for data teams, it, you know, if someone approaches, approaches the head of data and says, hey, we've got you know, this people mm -hmm. data set, want to do something with it. What's a what's a quick set of criteria yeah. that that person should ask before they go ahead and say and say yes? And how, how does how, where 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 in that decision process should they think about adopting a tool like Orgnostic? Yeah, I think, and I want to comment on one thing really quickly because you're you're getting into another area, which is like, should people analytics even exist, or should just centralized data teams exist? And yeah, there is a lot of debate in that area about. <laughs> you know, is people analytics adding unique value on top of what a centralized data team could be able to do this? The two things I would say and why I would say the decision to the answer your question fundamentally rests in the HR function, not in a data function is this. First of all, data teams aren't experts in HR data. HR data might be the most challenging data out there because it's human beings, it's often wrong, and it's not it's not very intuitive, right, itself. And so you have to have a really good understanding of how HR works to use HR data effectively. 
many data teams have tried and failed to do this in the past. And it's only through that failure that they get respect for the knowledge that the HR professionals bring. But the next thing is, it's, it's kind of what I answered in my last question. It's the security question of like, who should see what data? A, ultimately, when you have secure data, you're in a position of trust. People in HR are used to dealing with being in that position of trust because they can see things like employees' salaries and not do anything weird or crazy about it, right? And so they're used to dealing with highly secure data. And then the last is most data teams, again, I go back to the original thing I was saying about they're just kind of doing business intelligence and putting charts and dashboards together. A lot of times, people analytics teams, they do that work and they also do things like reporting, but they're also asked to answer research questions. They're asked to answer business questions based on this data because the chart that you put in front of an executive about a particular topic, that's just the opening gambit. There's going to be many more questions, that, and that requires subject matter expertise to be able to not only research but answer the questions that the executives have because it's, very, <laughs> it's a very rare occurrence that they just are satisfied with the first piece of data that is put in front of them, unless it's confirming of their existing beliefs, which is kind of hilarious in itself. But I don't know, does that kind of get to the, the question that you were looking at, Nathan? Yeah, totally. I think that answered the question behind the question and, and certainly one that's come up a lot in my career is, you know, the the whole, because as someone who's led data teams, you know, the central the centralized versus federated model is a, is an ongoing discussion. And yeah. I, I'm, I'm also more, sure. more of the, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a hub and spoke guy. I like having kind of like a, a small focused, tech, technical focused uh, data engineering function with sort of like distributed people who are more, you know, domain experts and and that sort of thing. Cool. Let's talk about AI. So let's talk maybe about to, it. maybe to start. Yeah. So so Orgnostic built an AI powered powered feature recently. Mm -hmm. Want to tell us about that and, and you know what, what went into building it and and how how that's going? Yeah. So what we did is um, we started with the fundamental belief that th there's there's really two schools of thought out there with AI that there's going to be these large language models that answer every question under the sun, or there's going to be narrow models that are tailored to specific things where they have areas of expertise. We are very much in the latter camp of narrow models. And the reason why is because if your AI is dependent on having all the access to every piece of data that's ever existed on the internet, even across company lines and things like that, that is fundamentally going to fail in the business world because there's going to be lawsuits involved. There's going to be intellectual property lawsuits. There's going to be a lot of things because guess what? Companies don't like sharing their data with one another. They don't want when they put their data into your system that you're giving it to someone else unless they specifically asked you to do that, like for a benchmarking purpose or something like that. They really hate it. And so what we fundamentally wanted to do was to build a cordoned off large language model based tool that's going to be able to answer a question that an organization has about their people and give it back to you immediately and, and fundamentally change the game using AI. And so what does that look like? In practice, what it, what it looks like is, imagine you're again presenting to an executive and they ask you a question 
that it's not the answer's not in your presentation and, and you're just sweating bullets over here traditionally you're like say i'll get back to you in two weeks uh we'll figure it out you know well right now when you're using orgnostics platform you literally go into the search bar at the top you click on the generative ai functionality and you say hey can you answer this question based on our company's data and it goes off and queries and brings back a visualization. Oh, actually, it brings back five visualizations because we're still training the model. So it's going to say, hey, you've got five choices to choose from based on your query as to what you might be looking for probabilistically. So here's a chart. Here's a natural language text explanation of what, what we think the answer is to your chart. And then here's a bunch of research papers that are based on what you asked about that are going to tell you, hey, here's what you should do about what you, the answer to your question came back as. And so as you choose the visualization of the five that you like the most, it actually trains our model to get better and better over time. And so this is a learning AI tool, not just a querying AI tool. And now in the background, if you get under the hood a little bit, a lot of it still kind of looks like SQL queries because you're just trying to get the data into the right format, but you're using generative AI to interpret a question which SQL cannot do right now. And then you're also using that generative AI to generate the output and the text understanding of the answers to those questions. And then combing through the best in class research, we're not creating like phantom research that like, you know, chat GPT does or something where it's like, oh, we made up a study that never existed. We're literally finding the studies, sending you hyperlinks to them and saying, here's what you might do to fix or, or based on the recommendations that we made to fix the problem at hand. Got it. So this is sort of like a, a people analytics, you know, PhD, just sort of embedded into orgnostic kind of thing. Yeah, I've, I've heard some people uh, describe it in a funny way. I think it's better than this, but they said it's like it's like a kind of a like a, a PhD intern, right? So they're not okay, yeah. perfect because you know they don't have <laughs> a lot of context on how businesses run and everything. But at least they're going to answer your question to the best of their abilities. I think it's a little bit better than that, but I think that's kind of a funny way of describing it. I like that a lot. I, I I've heard other people describe LLM products as as interns, and I I get it. Like it's it's a uh, yeah. There's a lot of course correction that you need to do to get to get value from it, but they're they're smart. <laughs> they're just the raw material is there. You just kind of have to guide it. So I'm curious what what sort of feedback. I mean, I think you know a lot of companies these days are are probably guilty of seeing Gen AI as like the shiny object, and you know they have to go build a feature uh, on top of it. And, you know, the feature is sort of rather than focusing on solving a problem, you're focusing on just building on top of AI. I'm curious, how, how did, how did Orgnostic try to sort of navigate that pitfall? And also, you know, what, what feedback are you getting from customers on this new feature? Yeah, I mean, to be clear, this is, this is still, this isn't a core feature of our product. It's still in beta, but we felt like it was very important. First of all, our core ethos is to be innovative. And so we see our competitors out there and they're still scrambling to try. Like I see some of like literally like made a video of something and put it out there. But if you read the fine print, it's like, hey, we'll have a beta for you available in like Q1 mm -hmm. of 2024. But this this video is out there. We said we want to learn with with our customers. We want them to we want to get their feedback. We want to make it exactly what they're looking for. And so not only is the reinforcement learning training the data itself, we want to hear from them. 
We're like, what do you like? What do you not like? How is this working? How is it not working? Frankly, we, we've had a lot of uh, bumps from it. But again, because it's still only in beta, you know, we're, we're not saying like, hey, hang your hat on every single thing that this does. But because we have the repetitions and the cycles that other people don't have, we're going to get to an even better product even sooner than anyone else. Yeah, totally. The iteration speed is, is so important. And it's cool that you guys actually have a product that's doing reinforcement learning. I feel like, you know, your average company that has a new AI-powered feature that came out in the last six months, it's, it's like probably uh, a chatbot that doesn't learn, but actually having learning in, in, as part of the feature is, is very cool. Okay, so that's, that's our agnostic. You guys are playing with AI. What about people analytics in general? How do you see the, you know, a lot's changing in the, in the tech landscape and mm-hmm. obviously, you know, it, it, this in recent wave of innovation in AI is incredible in a lot of ways. How does that intersect with people analytics and, you know, how should people leaders be thinking about adopting or using technology as, as these models become part of the software they use? I think this goes back to the age old bill versus buy question. And in the past, I mean, when I was leading people analytics functions in the past, every single time, except at my last organization where I was an agnostic customer, we built, we never bought. And the reason why is every time I would go to the market, I would have clear expectations of what I was expecting to receive and I never saw it. I never was able to get it, right? The great thing that's happened with the advent of generative AI, but also tools like Orgnostic that are really like the next age people analytics tools, I think in the future, it's going to be crazy if you don't buy. So in the last 10 years, uh, the the biggest teams in people analytics got all the praise. If you had a 50 person, a 100 person, a 200 person, and those teams exist, 200 person people analytics teams, that was considered, oh, you're amazing. We love you. That is going to be considered absurd if you look 10 years into the future. Like, how on earth can you justify having 200 people working on How on earth is this going to pay for itself? I really think, and I actually have an article that's coming out about this, where that the fundamental operating model of people analytics is going to change because of generative AI, and we are going to be at the forefront of that. And so I would say, in the future, if you have over... Let's say even if you're at the biggest company, let's say you have a million employees. If you have over 15 employees doing this, then and, and you have a tool like Orgnostic, it, it's not going to make any sense, right? Like if you put me in like a real like a Fortune 500 company today, and you say, Cole, build me out a people analytics function, I'd purchase Orgnostic and I'd hire like three people to be on my team, and we would crush it. And it's because buying is going to be the future because these technologies, they're too complex. Like organizations that are looking to build their, their own LLMs and a people analytics function in-house, that's insane. Like it's like, I always use the example of like Microsoft Excel because everybody's familiar with it. It's like, as an organization, are you going to try to build Microsoft Excel from scratch just to run spreadsheets at your organization? That would be absurd. Why on earth would you ever do that? But the same thing is going to apply with generative AI and, and frankly, world-class people analytics proje- uh, products in the future. And so instead of these companies who you know have 50 people working on their own internal people analytics product, it's never going to pay for itself. When you have a world-class product on the market, you would be insane not to buy. Yeah, totally agree with that. And, you know, I think, yeah, it's like a lot of, a lot of companies are, are, um, 
they just want they just want in you know they want to build the competence mm-hmm. and they want to experiment and i think that that has some positive aspects to it but it can be very it, it it can it can be satisfying in the short run, but then in the long run, you you end up with a lot of frustration as you know employees working on these projects, you know, get burned well, out and frustrated because they're, yeah, yeah, right, it, yeah, it's for like sure. How much of your time is dedicated towards execution, and how much is dedicated towards experimentation? I don't begrudge anybody from trying to experiment in this space. It's probably a lot of fun, intellectually stimulating. You get to learn. I think that stuff is cool. But if you have a team that's working on this for two years straight and there's you know 50 people involved, you've got to justify that expenditure as an organization. And I just don't think you can do that. I'm not, I mean, if anybody's wanting to experiment in this space, absolutely go to town. Yeah, totally. So actually that leads me to another question, which is maybe a little bit of a tangent, but you know. People analytics, I would say, you know, came of age in uh, sort of an economic boom time um, that mm-hmm. ended, you know, eighteen months ago, roughly. You've been How... reading my stuff, haven't you? I've talked about this a lot. Oh no, I just, I just made that one up. I so we're on, we're just on the same wavelength, which is good. Yeah. So. I'm curious how how has that sort of changed the conversation within the field of people analytics around you know what what sort of initiative analytics initiatives are useful. Uh, in this new economic context. And also, I mean, you already yeah. touched on, you know, how big should a people analytics team actually be? That's, I think, you know, <laughs> we we probably all, all know at this point, as small as, as small as it can be, as, you know, and technology enabled as it can be. But that, that first mm-hmm. question of, you know, how is the conversation uh, in people analytics changing because of the economic environment? Oh, yeah. And I, I'll, I'll, you, you teed this up, but I'm going to tee it up a little bit further because I think it's really important to understand this context. People analytics came of age when everything was up and to the right, you know, or, or the things were down and to the right when that was a, considered a good thing, like interest rates. When, when interest rates are fundamentally zero, it, there's not a, like a cost to borrow. And so you can get big inflated teams and there's really no penalty to the organization for doing that, right? Um, because again, as long as the company is making money and everything's up and to the right, there's, that's no big deal. A few disruptions happened. Right. The first was COVID. However, people analytics became even more important during COVID because for the first time ever, everybody went home and then organizations had like an oh shit moment of like, we don't know where all our employees are. We don't know what they're doing. We don't know how engaged they are. We don't know how productive they are. And all of those are people analytics questions. And so people analytics made it to the C-suite really fast. They were asking us and we had answers and we're like, yes, we were ready for this moment. Right. And then the next thing happened where the pandemic started to wane. And then we had the whole remote work versus hybrid work versus office work debate about like, what are we, what's the future of work going to look like? And people analytics said, ah, oh, we are ready for this again. Right. And then as you pointed out, you know, about, you know, 12 to 18 months ago, the economy changed. Credit, you know, credit was no longer 0%, you know, interest rates. It was, there's crunches. Businesses that weren't profitable were having to become profitable overnight. And they were like looking at their headcount saying, wow, these functions are a little inflated. And so more, more people analytics folks than I would care to mention that I know got laid off, right? And it was no fun. But the ones that stuck around, they got answered different, they had to answer different kinds of questions. First of all, they had to go back to some of the basic blocking and tackling questions that they used to answer before the pandemic, which is like, how many people are we hiring? What's our turnover? What's our productivity? What's our engagement? Those type of questions. But then they had new ones. 
And a lot of those fit within the umbrella of what I would call workforce planning. And so it was like, how many people do we need to do this job? What are the skills that we have internally in-house that are gonna enable us to make this big digital transformation or AI-based transformation? And things related to like, do we have the right spans and layers in our organization? Is our compensation no longer competitive because we're actually overpaying for talent compared to what the market rate is nowadays because there actually was some salary compression in the last 18 months, right? These are the new questions that people analytics teams have to answer. The funny part is, unlike the pandemic, the people analytics teams weren't ready for it because they hadn't mm. really seen these kind of questions since the 2008 crisis that happened. And so I actually, my first job out of graduate school was doing workforce planning work for firms on the tail end of the financial crisis. And so I had unique expertise in this space, whereas many people analytics folks are only accustomed to that up into the right environment where we're going to throw bodies at the problems. We're going to go hire another PhD from, you know, some, uh, you know, well-known institution, and they're going to be able to, you know, play tiddlywinks doing research projects for a year to find out the answer. That's just no longer the, the lap of luxury that we live in anymore. Yeah. So, so this is probably relevant to a lot of companies right now, some of whom may be, you know, winging it a little bit relative to, you know, what the advanced analytics, you know, sort of benchmark capability would be. So how, you know, how should companies think about workforce planning in particular? Like, what does it look like to do workforce planning well uh, in a concrete sense? And, you know, what, what's, your, what's your advice basically for, you know, a executive yeah. who's sort of has workforce planning in their, in their scope of responsibilities, but maybe not the analytical capacity or the sort of, uh, you know, yep. the, the tool set to do it? I mean, there, there's a lot of different ways of looking at it. There could be mergers and acquisitions, which uh, there's a lot of that going on right now, like consolidation of markets. There's workforce planning for things like layoffs even. But the traditional like three levels of workforce planning that most people are accustomed to is just the basic headcount planning layer. So, you know, you get your company's budget at the beginning of the year. You're trying to allocate roles. You're trying to allocate them most effectively. Um, you're trying to not necessarily when someone quits that we replace them with the same role or person because maybe the talent needs of the organization are changing. And, you know, just trying to get the most juice out of your squeeze, out of the squeeze, right? The next layer is what I call operational workforce planning. So this is the inflows and outflows of the organization over usually a 30 to 90 to 180 day period. And, and this is especially common in high volume industries like manufacturing, grocery stores, retail, tourism, those type of things. You see a lot of inflows of talent and a lot of outflows of talent and a lot of seasonality of talent. Operational workforce planning helps you do that quite effectively, right? Because you need to know how many recs do we need to open? How many people do we need to hire? Because let's say the Christmas season is coming and I'm a, I'm a store and I need to hire up for the Christmas season, right? And then the next layer is called strategic workforce planning. These are looking at the fundamental strategic shifts that are happening in industries. AI would be one of them. You know, the all the stuff that's been going on in the economy would be another. But every organization, every industry needs to be looking at what are the big ways of things that are coming and how do we get ahead of the curve on that? So how do we look a year, three years, five years into the future and start adjusting 
the talent needs of our organization, whether that be, you know, how do we recruit from universities? What are the different skill sets in mass that we're trying to bring into the organization? Frankly, what skill sets do we no longer need at our organization? And how are we going to reorganize to make that effective? And the org design components that are going to affect how companies operate to be effective in this new world. Yeah, that actually, for me, triggers uh, another question that I was I was curious to ask you if it, if it fits into the conversation. So, I think I think it does. So, you know, Orgnostic, you have access to a bunch of different companies' people data, and I think yep. one thing that um, you know, there's there's this you know people analytics you know, workforce planning capability that you're referring to that requires not just, you know, knowing what you have, uh, sort of, you know, who, who's working for you now, but also, you know, what's happening in the market outside of your company yep. that uh, affects your company's uh, human resource needs. Um, so I think, um, I guess I'm curious to, to understand how, how do you think about within the context of Orgnostic, your ability to translate that sort of view into many different uh, clients uh, into yeah. additional value for individual clients. Well, we've thought a lot about this. This was um, there's an umbrella term describing what you're describing. It's a term called talent intelligence, and we mm-hmm. we not only have been investing into talent intelligence tools to try to understand kind of the market landscape ourselves, but we've also got a strategic partnership with a firm called Revelio Labs, who has basically all the LinkedIn data that exists out there, all the U.S. Census data, data from all around the globe about what are the labor market trends that are ongoing for benchmarking purposes, but also allowing you to know what skills are out there, what skills are declining, what skills are going up, how is that affecting things like compensation. And we we have this partnership ongoing to integrate that data into our tool to give folks that type of talent intelligence. But an interesting layer that we've brought into it that, again, we don't see any other companies doing this. A lot of times they just look at like, again, talent inflows, talent outflows. How do we benchmark against our peers? Which, again, we're, we're, we're doing this as well. But what they're leaving out is things like culture and things like financials, which I think are two very different concepts. But if you really think about it, they're very related. One is how are the talent inflows and outflows of your organization? How's the labor market? How is that impacting the culture of your organization? And is the culture of your organization helping or hindering your business to be effective? And then we also want to show the relationship between that and the labor market intelligence data. And how is that impacting your company's financials? And so are they going to be more profitable, less profitable? And so you're going to be able to do these real like natural experiments to show when you make a certain type of change, it's going to show how that impacts the financial viability of your organization into the future. And so discussions that have often been theoretical in nature in the past are going to no longer be theoretical. And you're going to be able to say causally, hey, when we do X, Y, and Z, that's going to impact the company the company's ability to operate in the future. And we know that because we've got the data. That's very cool. Is that is that uh, something that you, you have in the product now or something in, in the works for the future? We have, we have like three things combined together that are all in beta that are going to be combined together in a future product. But again, I, I always tell people this, like Orgnostic is, first of all, we're fundamentally different than most vendors. Again, we play well with others, but our commitment to innovation is second to none. 
So what a lot of companies would do is they would just they would find somebody that's, you know, doing talent intelligence and has a mediocre product out there. And then they just go acquire them and then try to tack that onto your product. We don't do that. We want to build a, a product that works with all of our internal tools and we innovate so quickly. And so we put stuff out there. And then the other thing that's pretty different about us is we want innovative customers. We don't want to just be the innovation hub and then everybody just gets to learn from that innovation. We want people who want to experiment with us, who want to have some skin in the game. And so individuals who are out there, they're like saying, hey, we've got this really interesting and unique uh, use case in talent intelligence. Can you help me partner and build that? We love that. And so that is a large part of our product roadmap is just how do we partner with folks that want to innovate with us? Yeah, that's very cool. And just from from some of the problems, it sounds like you're solving. It seems like you guys are uh, very very focused on innovation and also taking on some sort of difficult difficult technical and uh, product design challenges. So that that's very cool. Yeah, well, I appreciate the compliment. I did I didn't do any of it. I'm just here to be the talking <laughs> head. Yeah. Wait. So real quick, what what is the what does the product and engineering team look like? Like how 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 big is it? Uh, what are what are some of the roles in there that are you know essential for um, building the stuff. Yeah, I mean, I won't get too much into the specifics. I think I get my hand slapped by people internally. Yeah. But I'd say, you know, we are a startup. We have about 40 employees. And what's different about us than most startups is, you know, I, I always call it like a third, a third, a third. And what I mean by that is usually they spend about a third of their employees on go-to-market, a third on like corporate functions like finance, data, what IT, and then a third on like product and engineering. Orgnostic threw that out the window and I would say, you know, uh, probably about, you know, 80% of our company, if not more, is in product engineering. And so we are investing everything in the product. And, and the reason for that is, so we want to be able to innovate. We want to be able to innovate quickly. And we can only do that if we're, we're investing in engineers and product people and not on, you know, SDRs and salespeople, right? And so mm-hmm. we think that if you build a world-class product, it'll sell itself and I, I think that that, uh, that experiment is running right now. And I think we're, we're very much on the, the, the happy side of that experiment. Cool. Well, that's exciting. Um, congrats on your success that, thus far. Uh, I think that's all I got as far as questions. Do you have any other uh, closing comments or things you want to plug? Dude, if you're not listening already, uh, Nathan's a fan of Directionally Correct. Uh, the podcast I'm a part of, it's about people analytics. We have really authentic conversations every week. I also have a newsletter under the same name, Directionally Correct. It's on my Substack. If you like what you've heard here, you're going to hear a lot more controversial opinions and, and hot takes there. So uh, check it out. You heard it here. Follow Cole. He knows his stuff. Um, Cole, thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me, Nathan. All right. Take care. And that's it for the show. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe and leave a rating on your podcast app of choice. Once again, the show is brought to you by Endeavor Labs, a data and AI-focused consultancy run by yours truly. If you have feedback about the podcast or want to talk data, please reach out, Nathan at EndeavorLabs.co. Once again, that's Nathan at EndeavorLabs.co. I'll see you next time.